turn to God's word now. So please, would you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're looking today at verses 9 to 11. One Corinthians chapter six and verse nine. And the Apostle Paul said, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, he said, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Please keep your Bibles open there. I heard about a man who went to church one Sunday and uh, afterwards he went back home and his wife said to him, well dear, what was it all about? He said, it was about an hour and he said, uh, it was about sin. (laughs) And sad to say that's sometimes what people think the Christian message is about, just a rant about sin. And I want to be honest with you that sometimes uh, people can make it sound like that. Heard about two old farmers who met together on a Monday morning and one said to the other, did you go to church yesterday? And uh, the other said, yes, yes, it was the same old thing, ding dong, ding dong. And the other said, well, you're lucky. He said, all we get is ding, ding, ding. It can sound a one-sided message. Well, I want to tell you today, there are two sides to the gospel message, two sides. There is the bad news, but there is also the good news. As John Wesley used to say, it's a case of know your disease and know its cure. Now, the cure without the disease doesn't make sense. You've got to know there's a sickness to know why there's a cure. But the disease without the cure doesn't make salvation. So we need both. And that's why in this little passage, the Apostle Paul puts them both together for us to see both sides. Now he's actually writing to Christians, he's writing to believers in the church in Corinth uh, about uh, in the the AD 50s to 60s and uh, he's reminding them of what the Lord has done for them and saying live up to your salvation, live up to the, the blessings you've received. But what I want us to do is to look at this this morning in terms of it being a gospel message for all of us because it presents both sides here so beautifully for us to see and the two sides are this there's the warning of condemnation in verses 9 to 10 but then that's followed by the wonder of conversion in verse 11 and I want you to see both sides of the gospel message this morning first of all then the warning of condemnation verse 9 begins with these words it says do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
The word uh, wicked there is literally the word unrighteous. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Heaven is seen as uh, a kingdom of God. And it's something we inherit. The children of Israel were told they were going to inherit the promised land in the Old Testament. And the children of God will inherit heaven, the kingdom of our great God. But what Paul says here is a great shock to many people. Because he says the unrighteous, the the wicked, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that comes as a shock to some people. Because some people think it's their automatic birthright to go to heaven. That's just a done deal. That's just a done fact. Unless you're Hitler, you're going to heaven when you die. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, if you were to read about heaven in Revelation 21 verse 8, you would read this. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. God makes it very clear that sin will not be allowed into heaven. And that's not an unreasonable thing. That's not an unreasonable thing. I use this illustration many times, so forgive me those of you who've heard it before. But imagine you've cleaned the kitchen floor. You've really worked hard on it. Uh, and I know some of you have to imagine. But, uh, okay. You've swept the kitchen floor. You've got up all those peas and bits of, of you know, Rice Krispies or whatever left on the floor. And you've swept it up. But then you've got the, 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 the soap and the disinfectant out. And you've washed it. And then you've dried it down. And then you've, you, you've buffed it up with some uh, special floor cleaner. And it looks absolutely fantastic looks as good as the day you had that that floor laid the first time and then the kids come home from school and they've walked across a muddy field and they've got their shoes caked with mud now what are you going to say to them you're going to say to them you're welcome to come in but those stay out there you're not walking all that mud through here across this beautiful i've cleaned this floor you're not going to come and ruin it with that mud that's not unreasonable, is it? That's perfectly, you're saying, I want you in, but that's got to stay out there. Well, that's what God is saying to us. He's saying, I want you to come to heaven, but you've got to get rid of that first. The sin has got to stay out here. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we need to take Paul's warning seriously. Paul says, do not be deceived. In verse 9, do not be deceived. Don't fool yourself about this. And many people do fool themselves about it. They think they're going to heaven no matter what. Robert Murray Machane, the great preacher, was giving out tracts one day. And he gave a tract to a lady. And she turned around and looked at him with offense. And she said, Mr. Machane, do you know who I am? And he said to her very soberly, my dear, he said, it doesn't matter who you will be on the day of judgment. It won't matter who you are on the day of judgment. And who you think you are will not give you any special pass with God. God is not letting any sin into heaven. And there are lots of sins uh, listed here in this passage as examples to keep us clear that God means business about sin. And he says here, neither of these people will be allowed in. And I want you to see something as we look at this list here. These sins are not listed as things people do, but things people are. Things people are. 
Because we are sinners before God. We are sinners before God. It's not just something we do. It's something we are as far as God is concerned. And he lists ten sins. He says, first of all, neither the sexually immoral. Now, the Greek word there is the word pornea. And it means everything to do with sex outside of God's holy institution of marriage. Fornication. Sleeping together before you're married. Uh, things like that. That is what is sexually immoral. And God says sexual immorality it will not be allowed in heaven. He goes on and then he says idolaters in uh, the next verse, next part of the verse. He said no, no idolaters. Now what is an idol? An idol is something you worship in the place of God. And uh, overseas you may see idolatry happening literally. If you go to some of the East Asian countries you'll see a massive idols of Buddha. And there's forms of Buddhism where they do worship a Buddha and not, uh, they don't just see Buddha as a teacher, they see Buddha as, uh, as a god, a deity to follow. And they will worship the idol of Buddha. And you will see this in many other religions as well, in India, in Africa. And I'm going to tell you, you'll see it in this country too. If you go into a Roman Catholic church, you will see idols everywhere. He said, oh, they're all right. They're idols of Mary. No, no. God says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not make an idol of anything that is in heaven or on earth. Is Mary in heaven? Yes. Well, don't make an idol of her. We're not to make any idols at all. And God says idols are wrong. But also we can make not only metal idols, but we can make mental idols. We can worship things as idols. Do you remember that football poster that used to be up all over the billboards? And it had pictures of uh, advertising. I think it was Sky Football or something like that. Uh, And the uh, advert was a picture of a a football match going on. uh, And somebody watching on television. And the slogan was, worship services, 3 p.m. every Sunday. Do you know what that's a statement of? Most people's idol they worship in this country is football. But God says no idolatry will be allowed in heaven. And no idolaters will be allowed in heaven. Then he comes in verse 3 to adulterers. He says nor adulterers. Now adultery is where uh, there is infidelity in a marriage. And uh, people are sleeping together and having relationships outside of the marriage covenant. And this is something that does happen a massive amount in our nation. In Reader's Digest, some uh, time back, they took a survey of people who were willing to admit they'd committed adultery. 60% of men at that time said they had committed adultery. 40% of women, less. But a massive number. And God says adultery will not be allowed in heaven. But then he comes on and he says nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. These two go together. Some of your Bibles uh, may translate this phrase as men having sex with men. That's how the new version of the NIV translates it. And in the Greek, it's talking about 
both sides, both partners in a sexual relationship. It says male prostitutes because in, the, in Greece at that time there were a lot of temples where people could go and as a ritual part of your worship to the God you could sleep with prostitutes and there were male and female prostitutes. And uh, male prostitutes were those who gave themselves to that task. And homosexual offenders were those who abused them and used them. And it's not talking about abuse, it's talking about willing engagement in this sin. Well, God says, and I want you to see it, homosexuality is a sin. That's, that's That's not what John Eichen says, that's what the Bible says. And it's one of the clearest verses you'll see anywhere is here. Uh, You'll see it all the way through the law. You'll see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. The reason we call it the sin of sodomy, as it's translated in some older translations, is because of God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said it was wrong. And we can go through many other passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Romans chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1.10 and other places where God says it's a sin. And homosexuals will not be allowed into heaven. That's not me saying it. That's the Bible saying it. And it's what the word of God says. But then he goes on and he says, nor thieves, nor thieves. Now, what is a thief? A thief is someone who steals something. And perhaps more of us are thieves than we ever realized. We use, we're used to people who uh, steal things in terms of you know, someone breaking into your car or stealing your car. I hope that never happens to you or me. Uh, but that's a, a very obvious theft. But sometimes we steal things without really thinking it's theft. We steal time from our employer. We steal uh, the things that are used uh, in, in uh, the place we, we work. We, we take home stationery or we use the photocopier without paying for it. That's all theft as far as God's concerned. And theft is uh, a, a sin God will not allow in heaven. But he goes on and he says, nor the greedy. Now these two actually go together, theft and greed. One is having the desire but not doing it, and the thief obviously actually does it. But the person who's greedy is the person who wants. The Greek word is the word for covetousness. They desire it in their hearts. And this is an attitude as well as an action that people are greedy. Abraham Lincoln was walking along that one day with his two boys beside him, crying their eyes out and fighting and fussing. And uh, a friend came up to him and said, what's wrong with the boys? He said, the same thing that's wrong with the whole world. He said, I've got three sweets in my pocket and both boys want two. And isn't that true? Our hearts, we, 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 we want to be greedy. I, I heard about a, a man who, whose father was a, an aged man and he was a very, very wealthy man and he was a widower and he was near the end of his life. And his son was a, 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 a man who was single and he, he went to the shop one day and he saw a very beautiful woman and he went up to her and he said, he was, he was smitten as soon as he saw this lady and he said, look, I, I may not look like anything now but in a few weeks' time, I'm going to be one of the wealthiest men in this town because my father is about to die. And he said, if you will follow me home, he said, that, that will be yours. Well, she went back with him, and then he ended up having a new stepmom. 
She saw the money and she wanted the money. And that's how so many are, isn't it? We're greedy. We want things. But God says greed is no joke. Greed is a sin. We tend to think of it as a socially acceptable thing to be greedy. You know, someone's got to go get them that attitude. Well, God says it can be greed and it's a sin. And then God says about drunkenness in verse 10. Nor drunkards. And uh, this is, uh, uh, again, a commonly accepted sin in our nation, isn't it? Drinking is the national pastime. And we tend to think there's nothing wrong with it as long as you don't drive or hurt anyone. But God says to be drunk, to be a drunkard, is going to ban you from heaven. Nor slanderers. What is a slanderer? George MacDonald said a slanderer is a wild beast that, go, that does not wait for the death of its prey before it devours it. <laughs> I think that's a good description. Somebody who cuts down other people, stabs them in the back. Somebody who talks nastily about others. And I'm glad I've never done that. Aren't you? We're all guilty, aren't we? We're all guilty of slanderers. And swindlers is the last one in this list. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What is a swindler? Well, we think of some of the famous swindlers. Did you ever see that film, Catch Me If You Can, about Frank Abagnale, the man who uh, mastered the art of uh, forgery? And he did very clever things. He used to do things like he'd forge bank uh, uh, payment slips and he would master it and he would uh, and then put his bank details down there so when people thought they were paying money into his their accounts they pick up these in the bank and thought they were paying money into the bank it was going directly into his bank account as soon as he saw money came in he drew it out he got away with that for years and robbed people of thousands and thousands of pounds he was a swindler and we all say oh yeah a person like that let me ask you, you ever sold a car that you knew, you knew wasn't good, but you sold it anyway because you wanted the money? That's a swindler. And you know what? We're all guilty, aren't we, in one way or another. I think of sins committed even in childhood, the swaps that weren't fair when we were children. So we look at this list and we see, you know, there's the obvious sins, sexual immorality and idolatry and uh, adultery. And by the way, those three are put together. Idolatry, you may think that's a strange one to put between sexual immorality and adultery. But those things go together in life and in, in, uh, in the Bible. Where you find idolatry, you will find sexual immorality. Those two things, strangely enough, go together in Old Testament history and uh, in the New Testament uh, as well. Those things are often participated in together. We have the obvious sins. We have the objected sins. Homosexuality. People say, oh no, you can't say that's sin. The Bible says it is. Whatever man says, God says that's sin. And we have the overlooked sins. Thievery, greed, slanderers, swindlers. This is the Bible's warning. Sin is serious. And as the Lord says here, in the end of verse 10, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me challenge you. Does that concern you? It should do. It should do. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And eternity is a long time to spend in the wrong place. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. And that's why I want to tell you the second side of the gospel message. Not only the warning of condemnation, but the wonder of conversion. And uh, this is what the next part of the passage deals with in verse 11. And Paul says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Paul begins with a beautiful word. He says, but, but. Uh, He says, and that is what some of you were, but. (laughs) And but is a changing word. It's a word that changes every situation, but. You can say, uh, you know, I've got no money, but. And but brings hope in. And this is what this word does here. It changes the the tone of the situation. There's the warning of condemnation, but there's the wonder of conversion. Paul says, this is what some of you Greek people at Corinth were. You were thieves. You were idolaters. You were homosexual offenders, which is an amazing thing to say. Because that tells us that homosexuals can change. People say, oh, they can't change. They can't help it. They can change by the power of God, according to the Bible. And we're not talking about conversion therapy, all right? It's not a therapy. It's a work of grace. Read the wonderful testimony of one man who was a former homosexual, and he said it's not a thing where you turn from from being gay to being straight. He said it's where you turn from being lost to being saved. I thought, that's the best way to put it. (laughs) I've never heard someone put it so well. But this is what it's saying. You can be changed. You can be saved. And it's not by man. It's by God's grace. And conversion is when we become a Christian and we're saved from our sins. And Paul says there's three things here that had happened to them. And I love it. It says here in INIV, but you were. The Greek literally can be translated equally, you are. You are. These things are true of you. And he says, you are washed. You are washed. You know, we've talked about some pretty black sins. And I have to say, they make me feel guilty. They make me feel guilty. Ray Stedman was an American pastor. And he was uh, reading this passage out in church one day. And uh, he said, just out of curiosity, if I've mentioned a sin that you have committed, would you please stand? And at first, nobody stood. And then one by one, people stood up all over the church. And there was a young lad in the church who had come to church for the first time that day. And he had been converted at a Billy Graham crusade. And he saw people admitting that they were sinners. But Jesus had saved them. And he said, these people are my people. Because that's what Christianity is about being saved from your sin. We're not here saying we're better than everyone else. We're saying we were these things. But Jesus has washed us. We've been washed from our sin. We've been made clean. Now, some people think the word washing, oh, well, that's obviously talking about baptism because we're talking about water. But dear friends, I want to say to you, water on the skin doesn't get rid of sin in the heart. All right, And you can go through this baptismal pool or a baptismal infant baptism as many times as you want. And every time you come out of that pool, every time you come out of that baptismal font, you're still going to come out with sin in your heart. You're still going to come out a sinner. We're not talking about water. 
We're talking about a work of God's Holy Spirit inside. You'll notice at the end, he says, in the na- the, you were washed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Lord Jesus Christ put it like this. He said, if any, he said unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And when we become a Christian, we are born again, we're washed, we're made new. And it's just like a baby. You know, you see a baby, that baby's got no history. It's a new life, that's why we love it. And when we become a Christian, it's like all our sins of the past have been washed away. It's gone. It's like somebody taking a tape recording. Some of you don't know what cassette tapes are, so you'll just have to bear with me. But, you know, in the olden days, we used to have cassette tapes, and you have a recording of all the sins of your life, and somebody erases it, washes it clean. It's gone. Gone. That's, that's what God does for us when we become Christians. It's, uh, it's the wonder of the gospel that God is able to wash black sinners and make them white before him. In Ezekiel 36 verse 25, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all, the, all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God promised Israel in Zechariah 13 verse 1. On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. God spiritually washes our hearts and makes us new creatures. We are clean. I want to tell you, you are looking at John Eichen the second. Because I'm a new man in Christ. It doesn't mean I'm sinless but I try to sin less, but I've been made washed clean by Jesus Christ. It's not just what I was, it's what I am. I am washed. And this can happen to you. If you ask Christ to be your saviour, he'll wash away those sins and you will be clean. Not only that, he says you were sanctified. And this is a beautiful word in verse 11. You were sanctified, but you were washed, you were sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? The Greek word uh, means to be made holy, to be set apart for God. You know, uh, in, the, in the Bible, some things in the tabernacle were set apart and only for God. And they had pots that had this phrase written on them, holiness to the Lord. We read about that in the book of Zechariah 14. Holiness to the Lord. When you become a Christian, you have that written spiritually across your life. Holiness to the Lord. You're set apart to him. Sanctified to him. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to happen to someone who's a sinner. And what it means is God is working in us to make us as holy as he is. As far as he's concerned, we are sanctified. We are holy. That's our positional state. You say, but I don't feel very holy. Yeah, I've messed up bad this week. Yeah, but God is at work. And he's bringing you progressively to the place where you are positionally. I love the story of Henry Rolls, the man who was uh, behind Rolls Royce. And uh, on one occasion... He was uh, walking through his factory and he heard a, a man who was making a part and a lathe. And he, went, he overheard him say, oh, that'll do. And he went up and he touched him and he said, there's no such thing as that'll do with Rolls Royce. He says, it has to be right. 
And that's what God's working at to us. And Henry Rolls was a perfectionist. In fact, when they, they, they made one of the latest models of Rolls-Royce in his lifetime, uh, somebody got uh, a test drive on it and they said, it was amazing. He said, the only thing I could hear inside that car was the clock. Henry Rolls was heard to be walking away saying, must do something about that clock. <laughs> See, God's standard isn't, uh, uh, you know, I want you quite good. God says, holy is what you're going to be. going to be as holy as the angels in heaven. And that's something God makes us by his work in us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You were sanctified. But he says you were justified. That's the third thing. You were justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means, if I can put it like this, it means it's just as if I'd never sinned. We're declared righteous. It's when God gives us the righteousness of Christ and imputes, that's the word, the righteousness of Jesus to our account. When our kids were growing up, we had little sticker charts for them. When they did well, they would get a sticker on their chart. And when they got to the end of the chart, they would get a prize. You know, a toy from the shop or a trip out somewhere. And uh, this was an incentive for good behavior. Well, I want you to imagine that you've got two children. One children's sticker chart is empty because they've done nothing but wrong. And another child's sticker chart is full. And then on the day they're due to collect everything, they peel off all their stickers and put them on the naughty child's chart. So the naughty child can get the prize or go on the trip. Well, that's what Jesus has done for us when we become Christian. He takes all his righteousness and he puts it on our account. So as far as God's concerned, we've done nothing wrong and we have a right standing before him. It's the opposite of the word we used earlier, unrighteous. We are righteous. Now that means we're still going to want to learn to do righteously. But as far as our standing with God is concerned, when we ask the Lord to save us from our sins, we are declared righteous. So what a wonderful thing conversion is. Sinners who were idolaters, idolaters, adulterers, homosexual offenders, greedy, drunkards, All these things, they're washed, made holy, declared righteous before God. What a conversion, what a change. And it can happen to you. Paul said, some some of you were these things. I can say some of us were these things. It happens when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his saving work. You know, These are the two sides of the gospel. And I want to ask, which side do you choose? Which side do you choose? Do you choose to stay on the side of condemnation? Or do you want to know the wonderful change of conversion? By asking the Lord Jesus to be your saviour through what he did on the cross for you and wash you, sanctify you and justify you. Years ago, there was an old uh, you know, a stonemason in this country. His name was John Chapman. You ever seen these beautiful country walls? And they're made up of these stones, all different shapes and sizes. And you think, how on earth did anybody put that together? And it's so beautifully, strongly made. It's a master skill. Well, John Chapman was one of those men. He lived down in Cornwall, and his wife was a Christian. And he went to church with her every Sunday, But he just sat there with his arms folded and said, 
no thanks, I'm not having anything to do with it. I'll come with her, but I'm not, having, I'm not becoming a Christian. And he heard the gospel, and in his heart he knew it was true, but he just was a stubborn old man. Some of us are like that, aren't we? Stubborn old men. <laughs> but you know what? One day, John Chapman was working on one of these walls out in the country. There was no one there, and he was eating his sandwiches at, at lunchtime. And a little robin came down. Everybody loves robins, don't they? And he broke off a bit of his sandwich, a little bit of bread, and he threw it to the robin. And the robin, oh, like that, he had the bit of bread, picked it up, flew it away and came back. And he threw out another bit of bread, but this time he threw it a bit closer. And the robin boldly came just a a few centimetres forward, took the bread and flew off and came back. And this went on for a little while until John Chapman decided he'd give him a big bit. But what he did was he held it out in his hand as if to get the robin to take it from him. And the robin was nervous and the robin wouldn't come. And John Chapman said these words to that robin. He said, come on little fella. He said, you don't know how much good I can do you. And when he said those words, it was as if heaven itself spoke to his heart. And he heard the voice of God say, Come on, John Chapman. You don't know how much good I can do you. And I want to say, God is saying that to someone's heart here today. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll wash you, sanctify you, declare you righteous and ready for heaven as if you were already there. Come to him. Ask him in prayer to forgive you and to do these works in you that you may be converted and follow him. May God help each one of us. We're going to sing our final hymn uh, this morning, O 